From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. And it's COVID today, but a year from now or even five years from now, it'll be something else if we don't begin to address these issues and address them both intentionally and effectively. That's Dr. Suzette McKinney on the public health disparities brought to light by the pandemic. We'll hear more from Dr. McKinney on her experience in emergency preparedness, her recommended changes to healthcare policy, and her three W's for personal safety during COVID-19. But first, a word from our sponsor. A proven payment solution for patients' out-of-pocket cost, the Care Credit Health, Wellness, and Personal Care Credit Card gives cardholders a convenient way to pay for treatments and procedures. For healthcare providers navigating financial and operational challenges resulting from the coronavirus pandemic, Care Credit can help reduce time and effort devoted to billing and collections while increasing patient satisfaction. Care Credit currently has over 11 million cardholders and is accepted in more than 240,000 locations nationwide. Learn more about how Care Credit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. According to the latest data from the CDC, hospitalization rates are four to five times higher among African-Americans, American Indians, and Hispanic populations compared to non-Hispanic white populations. We're joined today by Dr. Suzette McKinney for a discussion on public health, underserved and vulnerable populations, social determinants of health, and how they all tie into COVID-19 and the current civil unrest we're seeing across the country. McKinney is a doctor of public health and the only female black CEO of a major medical district in the U.S. She's the CEO and executive director of the Illinois Medical District, an adjunct instructor at Harvard School of Public Health, an author, and a strategic resource for the state of Illinois' COVID-19 efforts. Dr. McKinney, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm going to jump right in and ask you about public health. We have had a unique year in 2020. Um, COVID-19 has definitely changed a lot of lives here. Um, During this crisis, what has your day-to-day been like? And has that evolved over the lifetime of the pandemic? Well, I would start telling you that my day-to-day has been significantly altered since COVID-19 began. The first thing that happened is that our state was one of the early states to implement a stay-at-home order. And so all of our work at the Illinois Medical District, while it continued to progress, our staff all had to convert from an in-person working environment to doing all of our work remotely from our homes. So that has been probably the most significant impact. But I will say a second, also very significant impact has been continuing to advance the work of the Illinois Medical District while also assisting the state of Illinois in its COVID-19 response. So that has brought an additional level of complexity to my work, but 
at the end of it, I would say I've been extremely proud and honored to have been asked to assist our state. I think we are making great progress in combating COVID-19. And again, I've just been honored to be a part of that process. Mm-hmm. Now, you have been involved with uh, the Chicago Department of Public Health, I think, for 13 years, and you've dealt with public health preparedness, emergency response, been involved with uh, dealing with Ebola, H1N1. Um, what's been different about this one? What's, what's different here? I think one of the things that's really been different about COVID-19 is number one, especially in comparison to H1N1, the high infectivity rate with COVID-19 has been obvious to us in the field of public health. The other thing that has been very obvious to us in public health and specific to COVID-19, unlike H1N1, with COVID-19, a person can be infected with the virus but be completely asymptomatic. In other words, not exhibiting any symptoms at all. However, what we have learned is that even someone who is asymptomatic, that person can still spread the disease to others and others who contract the disease from an asymptomatic person could potentially become very ill. So just because you know, I may be asymptomatic. If I pass it along to someone else, that doesn't guarantee that the person or persons I pass it to will also be asymptomatic. And I think that's been one of the most uh, mysterious aspects of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is we've all been tracking this uh, is how it's impacted underserved and vulnerable populations. I was looking at a CDC study uh, just yesterday that um, Hispanic communities, Native American communities, Black communities, all are um, being impacted at five times those of um, white communities and or white populations. And why is that? Is there, are there some underlying factors that are, are contributing to that? Yes, there are. And in fact, there are a number of underlying factors. One of those factors, as we see very prevalently in the African-American community, is the existence of a number of chronic health conditions, things such as asthma, diabetes, heart disease, and high blood pressure. And so when you see extreme amounts of chronic health conditions and then persons with those health conditions also contract COVID-19, it makes for much more serious illness. So that's one factor. I think another factor that we've seen across all of the communities that you mentioned is that many of the people in these communities are essential workers So they have not been able to stay at home under a stay at home order. Many of these people are the very people that have to go out and work in our grocery stores, uh, work in our public works departments, if you will. Many of them are transportation operators in the public transit system. And so they haven't been able to completely social distance the way many of us have. And so I think that that is another factor that has contributed to these extreme health, uh, extreme disparities in COVID-19 incidents. And then 
finally, one of the other factors that we've seen, again, across several communities are more systemic issues, such as disparities in healthcare, disparities in income and housing, and just overall economic status that are contributing to increased incidence of COVID-19 as well. But I will say with regards to those systemic issues, those are some of the issues that I hope not only we recognize, but that we will continue to address even once COVID-19 has subsided. I often get asked, you know, uh, what do I want to see come out of this response? And I think that, quite frankly, that is what I want to see, because while these disparities have been highlighted by COVID, we've known about them for a long time because they've existed for a long time. And it's COVID today, but a year from now or even five years from now, it'll be something else if we don't begin to address these issues and address them both intentionally and effectively. Mm -hmm. well, I wanted to dive deeper into that because as, as we know, we've seen not only COVID-19 hit certain communities, but we saw with the, the death of George Floyd that uh, the African-American community has really responded, um, spoken out about other injustices as well, um, ways that, uh, that they want to be treated equally um, and fairly. And I wanted to get from your public health standpoint, where are you helping educate? Because we're seeing... Uh, people, um, you know, protesting, they're out in the streets, they're communicating, they're gathering in uh, bigger populations of people than, than maybe were um, recommended uh, by the CDC and public health. So how are you educating? How are you helping people stay safe while they are out there? Sure. So from a safety perspective, you know, we have been advancing public health messages throughout COVID-19, but I think many of those messages are even more relevant as we see the protests taking place around the George Floyd situation. And those messages remain the same, wearing the mask to protect yourself from the spread of COVID-19. Also, watching your distance, maintaining the six feet of social distancing as much as possible. You know, these protests tend to be very large events with a lot of people. And so the crowds are large. Typically, you don't see people social distancing. And so in order to have that social distancing and have it in an effective way, uh, people really need to be mindful of that because while this situation is unfortunate, I do believe personally that the protesting is not only relevant, but it's necessary, but we can also be safe in the midst of, of that protesting. Mm -hmm. And so, so those, are, those are the messages that continue to be critical from a public health perspective. Right. Now, from your uh, department there, are you guys developing educational messaging then to help people understand what they can do to protect themselves, to be safe? What, what has been your messaging there? 
Sure. So with COVID-19, I've been working on behalf of the Illinois Department of Public Health. And, you know, those messages have been the exact messages that I just stated, you know, wearing the mask, watching your distance, you know, and, and those types of messages. But, you know, it's not just our State Department of Public Health. Those are the same messages that are coming out of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And when you think about it, they really represent responsible human behavior. Because what we know right now is that there is no current medical countermeasure specific to COVID-19. In other words, there is no vaccine available. And so, until the point that there is a vaccine, these social distancing and uh, strategies and wearing the mask and things of that sort, as well as washing your hands. So your audience can think of them as the three W's. Wash your hands, wear your mask, watch your distance. Those are really the tools, the only public health tools that we have in our toolbox to protect against increased spread of this disease. And so my home organization, the Illinois Medical District, those are the messages that we are advancing. Our Illinois Department of Public Health, those are the messages that they are advancing. And the Centers for Disease Control, those are the messages that they are advancing. Mm -hmm. Well, we've seen some different, I don't want to call it waves as far as the virus is concerned, but policy waves as far as we had a non-essential lockdown for most of the country. Then we had the reopening. Now we're seeing tremendous spikes here uh, throughout different parts of the country. And we're seeing uh, some different states now uh, roll back some of those reopenings. Give us some perspective on that. What's happening out there and what are you seeing and what are you advising um, from your stance? Sure. Well, the first thing that I would say is that we need to understand that this is a disease and diseases do not know geographical boundaries. Diseases do not know political affiliations and diseases do not not know policy decisions. So that's number one. I think in terms of what you're referring to that we've seen, we've had stay at home orders implemented in a number of states. But at the same time, we've also seen varying degrees of pressure across the country to reopen states. Some of that pressure has been economic. Some of that pressure has been political. Some of that pressure has been social or what I would call personal. You know, I've seen many uh, protests and demands for reopening so that, you know, people can get haircuts and, you know, nail services and other types of services that are associated with our personal well-being, if you will. I think what we saw was that a number of states, for lack of a better word, gave in to a lot of those pressures, regardless as to what the source of those pressures were. And many states use those pressures as their rationale for reopening more so than they used the data and the science to uh, advance their reopening plans. What I can tell you about the state of Illinois is that our 
gubernatorial administration here in Illinois, as well as our mayoral administration here in the city of Chicago, really followed the data and the science very, very closely and looked at the number of cases that we were seeing on a daily basis, also looked at the percentage of deaths as it related to the number of cases. And we did not advance our reopening plans until we started to see those rates decrease. And so we have recently entered our phase four of reopening here in Illinois, as well as in the city of Chicago. We're about one week in to phase four. But unfortunately, in other parts of the country, we are seeing those reopening plans go on pause and the re-implementation of stay-at-home orders. And that is because either some states reopened too quickly or perhaps did not follow as closely the data and the science specific to their jurisdiction. And so instead of seeing a steady decline in cases, what many of them are now seeing are these surges or spikes in cases, as you've mentioned. And so once again, that just speaks to the fact that COVID-19 does not know and does not recognize policy decisions. You know, mm -hmm. so we, we, we really have to follow the data and the science and have our policies follow that, but also our human behaviors. Right. You're talking about behaviors and we've, we've all, you know, from having the stay at home orders, people were um, getting a little antsy. I know from my own perspective, just being, you know, sort of locked down there for a while, it can get you where you want to get out, but you've got to stay safe. And I know that I asked you earlier, how was COVID-19 different? I, I want to go back to George Floyd again, because we've had other situations, many situations in this country that were very similar to George Floyd's situation, um, but it didn't seem to have the lasting impact. There might have been an, an immediate response. This seems different. And I want to ask you the same question then. How is this different? Is it is it the inflection point? Was it the actual video? What are you attributing to that and having this sort of lasting dialogue, this lasting uh, you know, stand where people really do want change here? Yeah, you know, I think first and foremost, the George Floyd story was not new for Black people. Mm -hmm. We have seen in our communities many instances of innocent people being killed or harmed or feed, treated unfairly and unjustly time and time again. So that's number one. Uh, the George Floyd story is not new to us. I think first and foremost, it did reach an inflection point. But what's very interesting to me as a public health professional is that the George Floyd situation happened at a moment in time where our country was experiencing COVID-19. And once again, the same systemic inequalities that led to what happened to George Floyd were also very prevalent, but because of a public health issue called COVID-19. And so, yes, it reached an inflection point, but it was yet another example of how unfairly and unjustly certain 
communities, certain races, certain nationalities are treated in this country. And yes, I think not only did it reach an inflection point, but if you look at the difference, at least from my perspective, I see a difference in the protesting that is taking place now. And I associate it to some degree with COVID-19. So COVID-19, we saw stay-at-home orders, yes, but we also saw schools, specifically colleges and universities, having to move their classes to online learning. So you have this entire audience of young adults who are sitting at home and they're watching and they are mobilized and motivated to use their voices. And so that's one of the significant differences that I've seen with this situation as opposed to others. But, you know, when you look at uh, sort of the, not just George Floyd, but you look at others, you know, other situations, whether it's, you know, Tamir Rice or Trayvon Martin um, or other young people that have fallen victim to many of these injustices, it's just reached a point where, where I believe people are saying enough is enough. When are we as a country going to come together and do better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting that these have, have come together like this, both COVID-19 and the inequality in the criminal justice system for Black and other underserved communities. Um, where are the biggest areas you feel then that improvements still need to be made? Well, I think that improvements need to be made in many areas. I mentioned earlier inequalities that we've seen in housing and healthcare and income and economics. You know, I think I've done a lot of talking about the business community and what can the business community do to be better. And I think that's a clear area where some significant change can start and can be made. I think as a society, whether you're in a business community or any other aspect of our society, change has to be intentional. I have a colleague, friend, and mentor who often lectures about diversity, inclusion, and equity. And the way that she explains it is so simple, but so profound. And what she says is, diversity is being asked to the dance, to come to the dance. Inclusion is being asked to dance, but equity is being allowed to select the music. Hmm. And again, I say it's so simple, but it's so profound. And I think as a society, our intentionality has to be inclusive. So we have to include uh, persons of color, specifically African-Americans, in the hiring process and the recruitment process. And that needs to occur not just within the ranks of our companies and our organizations, but also in our executive leadership teams and in our boardrooms. And I do not believe that we will see significant change until we began to be more intentional and more inclusive in these systems and processes. 
Well, Dr. McKinney, I, I want to thank you for these insights. These are powerful um, and I think very helpful to our audience. So I want to thank you for sharing these thoughts with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure talking to you and talking to your audience. I hope that something that I've said today gives all of us just a little something extra to think about in terms of how we protect ourselves from infectious diseases like COVID-19, but also how we think about our neighbors from other communities and other groups and how we all just want to live better, safer, and healthier lives. That's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to Care Credit for sponsoring this week's show. To learn more about how Care Credit is helping providers deliver a better patient financial experience, visit carecredit.com/mgma-podcast. Also, thanks to our guest, Dr. Suzette McKinney. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com membership. Thanks.